0: Welcome to the Valley View Friends Church Sunday Morning Podcast. Thank you for joining us. And if you want to learn more about our church, look us up on Facebook or our website at valleyviewfriendschurch.org. Well, a pastor was giving the children's message during church. For this part of the service, he would gather all the children around him and give a brief lesson before dismissing them for children's church. On this particular Sunday, he was using squirrels for an object lesson on industry and preparation. He started out by saying, I'm gonna describe something and I want you to raise your hand when you think you know what it is. The children nodded eagerly. This thing lives in trees. And he paused and he waited to see if anyone raised their hand. And it eats nuts. And he paused again. No hands went up. And it's gray. And it has a long bushy tail. And he waited again. The children were looking at each other but still no hands were raised. And it jumps from branch to branch, and it chatters and flips its tail when it's excited. Finally, one little boy tentatively raised his hand. The pastor breathed a sigh of relief and called on him. Well, said the boy, since we're in church, I I know the answer must be Jesus. But it sure sounds like a squirrel to me. Jesus. Sometimes the answer is that simple. And this makes me glad. Life is hard and confusing and full of problems to overcome and worries and decisions to make. It's been a tough year and we still have a ways to go yet. Even without all the extra stuff of 2020, many of us have had personal struggles that put pressure on us every day. If you're listening this morning feeling the weight of the world upon you, if you're caught in a decision and unsure what to do, if you feel under attack by family, friends, or the community, if you're concerned about the future for yourself and your family, remember the answer, well, it's a simple one, Jesus. You might feel like the answer is overly simple. How can Jesus really be the answer to the specific issue that I face? But rest assured, Jesus is enough. If you want the answer to fear and uncertainty, if you desire discernment and purpose, if you want to navigate the tough days that you face, you need to be able to answer these two questions. Who is the rock that your life is built upon, and who have you been given permission to build on that rock? And the answer is simple, Jesus. Jesus is the rock we're to be built upon, and Jesus is the one, the only one, who should have permission to build on that rock. But there are other rocks, and there are other builders that try to get into our lives. So let's read the text in Matthew chapter 16, verses 13 through 18. Now, when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, Who do the people say the Son of Man is? And they said, Well, some say John the Baptist, and others say Elijah, and others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. And he said to them, But who do you say that I am? And Simon Peter replied, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, Blessed are you, Simon Bar-Jonah, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. So the first idea I want you to latch on to today is that Jesus needs to be the rock that your life is built upon. Be aware of fake rocks. So Jesus has taken his disciples north out of Galilee, out of the Jewish communities to the region of of Caesarea Philippi and to the city of Caesarea Philippi. This is an area known first for its worship of Baal, and then secondly they worshipped the Greek god Pan, had a tremendous history of worshipping Pan, and then later they would worship the Roman emperors. Worship in Caesarea Philippi was a big deal, and they had a place where they carried out their worship. It was a cave outside the city, out of which this cave flowed a spring of water. It looked like life coming out of death. And the Greeks thought this cave was the entrance to Hades, and they actually called it the Gates of Hades, or we might think of it as the Gates of Hell. They thought many of the Greek gods, especially Pan, retreated into Hades at this location and went to sleep after the harvest each year and that the gods required worship to be able to come out again and start uh, the next planting season and bring life to the farm fields and flocks. The worship conducted by the people of Caesarea Philippi, it was dark. It was an evil worship. And it was not a place a devout Israelite would ever be found. And yet here is Jesus in Caesarea Philippi teaching his disciples and I do not think it is too much to picture the disciples trembling, fully aware of the pagan worship and power of that city. There would have been a fierce internal battle inside of the disciples. Oh, we shouldn't be here. We need to leave this place. But, but you know, Jesus has asked us to come to this city. They, they had to decide if they were going to trust their gut instincts or the voice of Jesus. And in a lovely moment... The disciples put their trust completely in Jesus. Jesus questions them, who do the people say that the Son of Man is? And they give a range of answers that reflect the expectations of Israel. Well, it's John the Baptist, he's alive again, and Elijah, again alive, and Jeremiah, or or one of the prophets. These are the answers of others' expectations. And then Jesus comes closer to home but who do you say I am? Now the answers should reflect not others, but the disciples' personal expectations. In verse 16, Peter speaks up and he says, well, you, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. Peter, in a moment of clarity and bravery, proclaims Jesus to be the Christ. Now this is a really important word. Christ is not just a last name, Jesus Christ, but a title. Christ is the Greek word that equals the Hebrew word Messiah. So when he says Christ, he's saying Messiah. And both Christ and Messiah have a similar meaning, which is anointed. You are the anointed one. That's what Peter calls Jesus, the anointed one. This term anointed one is used 39 times in the Old Testament. And every time it's used, it's used to describe kings or prophets or priests. Now in the Old Testament, kings were not to be prophets and prophets were not to be priests and priests were not to be kings. The the roles were never to cross over each other, but the Israelites were looking for the anointed one who was supposed to be all three, a prophet, a priest, and a king. Or rather, the prophet, the priest, and the king. Now the crowd, as Jesus is asking, what what do the people say? Who do they say I am? The crowd's already calling Jesus a prophet. But Peter takes it much farther, daring to call Jesus the one. The one who is all three of these offices in one. The Messiah. But But Peter takes it even further than that by calling Jesus not just the Christ, the Messiah, the three, the, the prophet, the priest, and the king all together, the, the anointed one, but he says, you, you're the Christ, the son of the living God. By saying he's the son of the living God, he's identifying the divinity of Jesus, and a powerful divinity at that. Because they're at Caesarea Philippi, where they worship, the, the Greeks worship the, the false god Pan, They have statues to Pan, just pieces of stone carved in the image of Pan with the the goat-like feet and playing the pipe. And, and, And Peter knows that God is not a statue, not like what they worship in Caesarea Philippi. They worshiped in Caesarea Philippi this Greek god Pan every year, hoping that their fields would spring forth with life again. And Peter knows that he's looking at the Son of the living God. There's not just hope that there will be life again. He knows that this is where life is found, in Jesus Christ. And so Jesus responds in verse 18 by saying, And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Now, many have read this verse and have wondered Well, who the rock is that Jesus is referring to? And then some say, well, it's Peter. And Peter certainly is a rock. His name actually is is Petros, rock. And uh, Jesus uses, you know, Peter's name Petros. And and when he says rock, he uses the the Greek noun rock, Petra. Uh, And Peter is a rock. He's certainly a key leader who helps the beginning of the church. So it's true, he is the rock. Well, he's a rock. I'm not sure he is the rock. I know who the rock is. Some people say that it's Peter's confession that's the rock. That the words that Peter says, uh, that you are the Christ, the son of the living God, that those words are the rock, the foundation of the church. It's who we say Jesus is. And and certainly there's some truth in that. It's really important who we say Jesus is. We'll come back to that a little bit. And while there's truth in those answers, we need to know truly that Jesus is the rock, he himself. And the Bible speaks of Jesus being the rock, the foundation rock of the church and the Christian. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 19-20 through 20 says this, So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, Christ Jesus himself, being the cornerstone. And First Peter two six says this, For it stands in Scripture, Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone chosen and precious, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. Jesus is the rock on which the church, the Christian, is built. But be aware of fake rocks. Is there a lot of fake rocks in this world? Culture is a fake rock. Whatever is popular right now is Well, that's a rock that people try to build on. Family can be a fake rock. A person can spend their whole lives trying to build on the expectations of a parent or a loved one, a spouse, or even the expectations of a child. And they're building on a false rock. We ourselves can even be the fake rock we try to build our lives on. And it's a dangerous business. Many of you have heard of the Leaning Tower of Pisa. A tower that has stood for over 800 years, far longer than that. And each year it leans a little farther and farther over. Just a tiny amount every year, but it adds up. Over 800 years it gets to be quite a bit. And eventually, scientists know that this tower will fall. That it will reach a point where it can no longer stand up under its own weight. In fact, I don't even think at this moment that it's truly standing under its own weight. I think it has a cable system holding it up. Well, you know what Pisa means? It means marshy ground. The tower was not built on rock, but marshy ground. It's a bad foundation. And the foundation they built for the tower only goes 10 feet deep into this marshy ground. And then if you do a little bit of reading and study, you'll find out that Italy has not just one leaning tower. They claim they have 10 leaning towers throughout the country, towers built. Centuries ago that have improper foundations, it's dangerous to build on the bad foundation. The Gospel of Matthew warns about building on poor foundations. Matthew seven twenty four through 27 reads like this, Everyone then who hears these words of mine, this is Jesus speaking, and does them, will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew, and beat on that house, but it did not fall, because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew, and beat against the house, and it fell, and great was the fall of it. And I've said it several times already, but we need to understand, building on the wrong foundation is dangerous. Our foundation stone gives us our identity. It gives us our purpose. It gives us our security. And when Jesus is not our rock, when he's not our foundation stone, these become distorted. We begin to misunderstand who we are. Our purpose becomes uh, distorted and blurry. And our security, it will always fail if Jesus is not our foundation stone. We need to have him as the foundation stone, the rock of our life, and no other rocks. But secondly, I would say this, Jesus needs to be the builder of your life. Do not give anyone else permission to build, only Jesus. Now, as much as Jesus needs to be the rock that our life is built on, he also tells us very clearly that he is the builder. I mean, Jesus is speaking to Peter, and he says, On this rock, I will build my church. Jesus is not saying, Peter, you're going to build a great church. He invites Peter to help. He invites all the disciples, gives them the mission to build the church, but Jesus makes it clear that he is the true builder. And just as there are many fake rocks that people try to build their lives on, there are many false builders that try to come in and build on our lives. And again, builders, they they can come in several categories and, and, well, you could divide up just about anything into others and yourself. Ultimately, we need to let Jesus be the builder. The influence of others is strong; they can shape how we think and how and what we feel our purpose is. But perhaps the most dangerous false builder is our own self. We live in a time where we are our own personal experts. I mean, you just talk to anybody and we all have opinions we want to share. We all think our opinions are the best. we're becoming experts of ourselves, and a lot of us think we're experts on everything, but we truly thrive as being personal experts. I know myself best. I know what's good for me. I need to do what's right for me. Those are phrases we use all the time. Even the best intentioned of us might be trying to follow the Bible, but we're only following the Bible as we want to see it, and that's a dangerous thing to do. It happens all the time today. We want to read the Bible our way. And feel good as we read it. St. Augustine says this. St. Augustine, he's one of the early church fathers, a very important theologian for uh, what we think and what we do today as Christians. And he says this, If you believe what you like in the gospel and reject what you don't like, it's not the gospel that you believe, but yourself. I'm going to read that again because I just think that's a very powerful quote. If you believe what you like in the gospel and reject what you don't like, It's not the gospel that you believe, but yourself. In other words, many of us, without knowing it, believe that we ourselves are enough. We think we can get good advice on how to build our lives. Uh, Maybe good advice comes from the Bible, but we're still the builders. Do not read the Bible for good advice. Let the Bible read you. Let the Holy Spirit read you through the words of this book. And show you what Jesus needs to change in you. We are to let Jesus and Jesus alone be the builder of our lives. And this is why Peter's confession of who Jesus is is so important. Peter must wrestle with who Jesus is. And who Peter wants Jesus to be. I think we all wrestle with that. I'm going to read that again because that's a wrestling match we all face. Peter must wrestle with who Jesus is and who Peter wants Jesus to be. Back in the Gospel of Matthew, back into our text, the, the verses that come right after what we read today, Jesus tells his disciples that he must suffer and die and be raised from the dead. And this is not part of Peter's understanding of who Jesus is. And so he confronts Jesus, and we'll read the text here. It's in Matthew 16, verses 22 and 23, and it says, And Peter took Jesus aside and began to rebuke him, saying, Far be it from you, Lord, this shall never happen to you. But he turned aside, this is Jesus, Jesus turned aside and said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan, you are a hindrance to me, for you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. In hard times, it's easy to think in the ways of man instead of the ways of God. When we catch ourselves doing this, we need to stop and give Jesus permission to be the only builder in our life. So, what happens when we make Jesus the rock and the builder of our life? Well, we will still make mistakes. I mean, that's just a given. We're humans. That's what happens. And Peter is a fine example of a disciple who often messes up while trying to follow Jesus. And you know what? Jesus can work with that. He can build on Peter. He is able to transform Peter. And he makes Peter into the first leader of the church. And if you feel like your mistakes outweigh your progress, remember that Jesus is not done yet. He can work with what you give him. Will you invite him in? Will you let him be the builder of your life? The other thing about what happens when we let Jesus be the rock and the builder of our life is life will still be hard. Jesus never promises that our problems will go away if we follow him. He promises that he will see us through the storms of life. He will be the solid foundation that cannot be shaken if we let him. Jesus tells us in our text today, on this rock, I will build my church, and not even the gates of hell will prevail against it. That is such a powerful word. Not even the gates of hell will prevail against it. Jesus promises disciples that the gates of hell will have no, will never have any victory over the church. There's double meaning here because they're in the city of Caesarea Philippi, and and it's it's a powerful city. It's a city where its worship is is, is esteemed around the world, and and just uh, it seems so powerful. But it's powerless. And that's what we find out. That which looks powerful is often all bluster and only temporary. But there's another meaning here. And it simply is this. Hell has no victory over the church. If you're letting Jesus be your rock and your builder, then no problem you face can have true victory over you. It may be hard. It may be painful. But Christ alone will be the victor. He will carry you through. And so I ask you today, who is the rock of your life? I want you to seek out your heart, seek out your mind, look at how you live, truly ask yourself the question, is Jesus really the rock my life is built on or is my life built on something else? If your life is built on something else, I want to challenge you today, let Jesus be the rock your life is built on. And then I also want to ask you, who have you given permission to build your life? The simplest answer is the best one. Let it be Jesus. Let's pray. Father God, we face so much in life today. Day in and day out, there's just so much going on. Today, I pray that each one hearing this would invite Jesus to be the rock upon which their life is built. Lord, help us to let Jesus alone be the authority and builder over our lives. We are all so tempted to put our opinion into the building plans, into the process. But Lord, let it be Jesus and Jesus only. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Go with Jesus.